0: and welcome to this episode of The Stag Roar. This episode is brought to you by our mates at Modern Pirate. 100% carbon neutral, Modern Pirate makes an amazing range of men's grooming products and if you're one of our Aussie listeners then you've probably seen them in your quality barbershop. I've used the pomade and their mat clay paste to style what here I have left and their charcoal soap is the business. You can get 10% off every order by simply entering the code STAGROAR at checkout That's lowercase S-T-A-G-R-O-A-R. Look good and support yet another quality Kiwi export that the Aussies are sure to claim as their own. Check them out at modernpirate.com.au. That code again is STAGROAR. Kia ora and welcome to episode 185 of the STAGROAR. This episode I'm joined by Dan Doty, uh, the founder of Everyman, which I've spoken about quite a number of times. Especially in the context that listening to Dan talk on Joe Rogan and uh, then the first couple of episodes of his podcast was part of the inspiration and the drive to start his own podcast. Um, obviously, cover a wider range of topics on the Stagger And one of those topics is men's um, health and well being and men's emotional intelligence. And, um, as I speak about in this podcast, if you want a bit of a crash course into what that means laid out in a really digestible form, I'd encourage you to uh, look up the Everyman podcast and listen to that catalog of episodes. And it really helped me, um, to articulate a lot of the sort of, you know, deep, and, deep and dark thoughts and feelings. That's the, that's the big thing. Um, and, uh, yeah, I was actually paid a compliment the other day that I was able to articulate something. So, maybe it has rubbed off. So that's pretty awesome. But, yeah, it was cool to finally get to speak with Dan. Um, obviously, I've been on his back this whole time because he was an inspiration, and we've had a few people from every man on the podcast, uh, Aaron Blaine um, and uh, Lucas Grump. Yeah, uh, also Chris Lee Wilson is being involved with every, every man a little bit. So if you want to go back and check out those and get a little bit of context and a little bit of a broader understanding of, of what that's all about, yeah, go check it out. But without further ado, here's the man himself, Dan Doherty, and uh, this is episode 185. Kia ora, everyone. We're at uh, episode 185, and I have the man in front of me uh, across the internet. that basically inspired me to do this whole bloody thing. Uh, Dan, I just started getting into podcasts in terms of listening, and I heard you speak on uh, Joe Rogan, like many, many people did. Uh, and you said on that podcast, Hey, I've started one, and uh, it was, it was quite synergistic because I chucked it into the phone, was out driving to uh, similar time as it is today for about 4 a.m., driving to a hunting block not far from where I was living. And started listening to I think it was you and maybe Lucas having a conversation um, uh-huh. about, about every man, and I was like, "Holy shit, this thing is this thing is cool. This is speaking to me." And then I was thinking this last week, once uh, we organized, I was like, "Why did that speak to me?" And I was uh, scrolling back through my blog, and in 2015, I watched a film on Netflix called uh, "My Own Man," <laughs> and that was about a guy nearing his forties becoming a father to a son and uh, he was dealing with masculinity and femininity. And I was like, yeah, I hadn't really thought about that too much until then, as a, as a Kiwi blog. And I wrote a blog about the men in my life. So, mm-hmm. mate, what, what why, why did men, men's work, men's journey, men's identity, where did that start going? Hmm, I haven't thought about this, and this could be quite useful to think about this. <laughs>
1: yeah man uh well i started thinking about it pretty pretty young and it was uh really in my early 20s so mm-hmm. i uh, i went to college and started traveling a lot started uh you know living abroad and found myself in panama um <clears throat> with the with a woman that i was dating then i was writing a novel and we were just kind of like having a fucking blast honestly and, uh, I ran out of money and I needed, I needed a gig. And so we moved, uh, back to the United States, moved to Utah and on, I, I'm sitting in an internet cafe in Panama and, uh, saw an, a job ad for a wilderness therapy guide, uh, position. And I didn't know what the fuck that meant. And my I thought it was rad because I loved being in the wilderness and I had sort of a thought that I would be a teacher or work with kids somehow. And um, less than a month later, I was out in the wilderness carrying a pack that I built out of willow branches that I cut and and myself and tied together with elk hide and, uh, you know, hiking across these mountains with a group of, I think it was nine young men between the ages of 14 and 17. And, um, I stumbled into my fucking calling right then and there, right. I just like, I just naively luckily stumbled or was guided, right. Depending on how you look at the world. And, um, you know, I spent four or five years working with young men in that capacity and it was just, I got to be a professional big brother. You know, while we were doing these wild adventures. And I also got to start working with fathers and sons specifically. And that was it, man. You watch a, you sit there around a circle and a fire and you see like a 17 year old, like tough guy uh, fall apart and uh, be held by his father. And I've, I've just, there's the amount of tears that fly when fathers and sons find each other and reconnect there's nothing like it for me right and so and there's there's definitely a lot I can and we can talk about it if you want but like my father and my grandfather and my lineage back right and um, I think that that obviously plays a huge role for me in this but practically speaking in my early 20s I just it became my life it became my world and I became obsessed with why these young men were struggling, what they needed to be more healthy, more, more mentally healthy, and then even more so. <clears throat> it was obvious that I mean these kids were rad, and then their dad would come out and you would like you could almost watch them a hundred yards away, like with so much expectation and hope, in like love in their eyes and as they got closer and as they got closer they shut down and then they shut down more and they shut down more and then they got together and they just stood their fucking slack face in front of their children just being like uh, 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 uh. like no idea how to love their kids no idea how to talk to their kids no idea how to bring their guard down no idea how to connect vulnerably any of that shit it's like well that's a fucking problem for a basic that's like the core of every problem on the fucking planet (laughs) so that's one answer
0: (laughs) (laughs) no so that's good but before we dive into uh solving the, every problem on the fucking planet uh what was with the with the pack that's that's a power move man like hey how's it going kids i made this
1: <laughs> no so that was the program no it was amazing i didn't I, I that wasn't me man that was me learning the the so i were it was a uh what do you call it traditional skills or primitive skills based program so our training is we went out for 10 days and, you know, slept under the stars and learn how to make uh, tarp shelters and learn how to uh, bust fires with bow drills and hand drills. And then we all made it. We all cut our own stakes for our packs and everybody was given half of an elk hide and we made our own packs from that. And uh, it was legit. So that was not me being cool. That was me playing along. And that introduced me to a way of life. Also, that's just become you know a massive part of who i am too so
0: so who so was running there what was the ethos behind um that's that sort of
1: vibe. so therapeutic wilderness programming uh this specific school is part of an industry that tends to be uh fairly wealthy families whose children are uh whose adolescent children are acting out and uh hurting and struggling and maybe hurting other people It's a high dollar therapeutic intervention program. And then generally those students go on to a boarding school, a therapeutically oriented boarding school. And so it's, it's just, it's actually a big industry out West in the United States. And um, I, so I worked for those. I also worked for programs that were uh, state run. And so those were more correctional facilities, right? So kids who were, um, they had an alternative to go to, to going to jail, they would come out in the woods with me.
0: Mm -hmm so when you say about a therapeutic boarding school what's what's the are they constantly checking in with someone
1: how they're mentally doing or yeah yeah so a therapeutic boarding school is a yeah is a private school residential private school in which every student enrolled has a uh like a clinical part of their state right so they have a therapist and support systems and and they do you know mental health and well-being uh programming as a part of their daily life
0: yeah so with with your sort of juvenile state sponsor stuff they're they're at risk in terms of crime are these other children at risk in terms of um uh drug and addiction habits and potential suicide are they
1: exactly drugs self-harm sometimes you know more outward violence sometimes uh just really bad mental health depression bipolar things like that um yeah kind of a wide spectrum but i think you know the commonality was often uh um, yeah either destructive behavior of some sort right mm-hmm. whether it was uh stealing cars and snorting coke or you know addicted to video games or um you know scratching like self-harm things like that
0: and and so on the course was there any sort of therapeutic base or that there, there was Nature, a ton, a ton. A Yeah,
1: ton. no, a ton, a, a ton. I mean, yeah, so the the programming engine, so my role as a guide was to um, run the coursework, which was, you know, at one program, it would be, you know, over a course of a week, we would hike five chunks of about eight to 10 miles a chunk <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> learn how to navigate and just full full wilderness living. But then every day there would be, you know, a theme and there would be a circle where we would teach a certain skill and we would talk about, you know, feelings and emotions and uh, mental health. And it was very, and then once or twice a week, a, a trained clinician therapist would come out to the field, um, meet up and do some sessions. And so yeah, it was a very, very intensive process altogether.
0: Mm. And uh, that must've been incredible. How was the energy levels and, and change of attitudes across uh, eight miles or so a day
1: <laughs> i mean you know you can exp- i mean you can imagine whatever you can imagine probably happened right i mean um <clears throat> sometimes a group would get in sync with each other and it would just be a, a total blast you know and it would just be <clears throat> fun and exciting and um other days it would be pure fucking hell like pure hell um one of my favorite memories <laughs> is uh, like I won't, I'm obviously not share his name out of confidentiality, but this young man uh, who is legitimately fucking insane, but really awesome. Um, he would, he would like, he stole uh, a piece of elk hide and he built himself a G string, a G string underwear out of L- uh, uh, elk hide. And then his thing was when it would storm one night, we camped up right near the peak of this mountain and uh when the lightning and when the lightning came he got out of his freaking tent and in just his g-string underwear and raced to the top of the peak and then like proceeded to swear at god at the top of his voice like just raging at god for like 40 minutes straight just like daring god to smite him with thunder and like to hit him with lightning and like excuse me it was bananas it was really bananas so
0: Wow, that's uh, for some reason I have images of Paul Stamets up 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 his tree on uh, a yeah,
1: a yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's a good analog for sure.
0: <laughs> um, so yeah. like, where did that fit in with the with the whole media thing? Was that before or after?
1: No, that was way before. So yeah, my that was my first career, and I did it for a handful of years. And then I wanted another challenge. I actually wanted a higher degree. I wanted to get a, a a graduate degree. Right. And so I looked around and the thing that was most appealing to me was I became a wilderness therapy guide. I'm sorry. That's what I already said. I became a teacher in the Bronx. So I, I went and I moved to New York City and, um, and I'd never really been in New York before. So that was a pretty big adventure for me. Moved to New York um, and, and got into this program where they Uh, I did a two-year master's of education so I became a certified teacher in return for teaching for two years in the Bronx Um, so I did that for a couple years and uh, that was the it was a really important time for me Um, the work itself was amazing but I was not okay like that that was when my own life broke down that was like um, the beginning of everything I've done since was because of a huge breakdown. I had like a mental breakdown that I had that year in New York city or the second year in New York city. And, um, that kick started like the next chapter, which was, you know, during that time I found my first men's group, which I didn't know existed before then, you know, started working with therapists, um, started doing a lot of things, started meditating, like all of the things that have become very central for me. And, uh, um, shortly after that I, I only stayed for two years because it was killing me to, to live there and um, I moved back out west United States and then I got a call from a dude in my first men's group who was a uh, director a television director and they sold this show we were going they were going to Alaska to climb up this mountain and, and shoot some deer and they needed some people with backcountry experience to take care of the crew so I got invited on a first shoot and um, performed really importantly well and then um that started a five-year four and four or five year career in in tv Man, that's that's how that happened <laughs> um
0: you're saying, you're saying about someone who can perform well in the backcountry. country i think i messaged you about St- Stephen Renella and tim ferris talk, talking to you and new Zealand hunters are very familiar with with tussock we've got tussocks that are you know yeah. six feet yeah. tall and yeah. uh they especially if there's snow on them you kind of go and stand on them and then you end up beneath the tussock um they were calling you the tussock jumper and and they were saying how like you can carry the pack part of the animal in the in the camera crew and just bound along the tussock when'd you learn that skill man because that's that's uh
1: (laughs) no i'm just i'm just i'm a good pack animal man i think it's i don't think it's true anymore but for a while like most of my the things that i earned in my life were because i could put a shit ton of weight on my back and carry it well (laughs) like that um but the tussocks no i actually don't know i think that was just um i think people are surprised i'm a pretty big dude but i'm pretty nimble on my feet too i'm not like fast (laughs) or anything uh but i don't remember jumping from tussock to tussock i just remember um i don't know i guess i guess i've just done a shit ton of you know, I've spent a lot of time in the back country. Right. So when it comes to uncomfortable walks, I've just done a ton of it. And so <laughs> I don't know magic there, no jumping. I don't think there's any jumping. I just think there was a, a lot of practice under my belt.
0: <laughs> yeah. I was talking to a, a, a mate, uh, Ryan Nicholson has been on the podcast. He said that, uh, he was in a baby bag once and slid down, down the hill on tussock. I said, well, you can be the tussock sleeper. <laughs> <laughs> Like you, you said there that you're in the Bronx and you had, uh, a, you know, identity crisis, a middle breakdown. What, what was sourcing that? Well,
1: oh, I would say a lifetime of, of not dealing with my own shit, man, and a lifetime of, of uh, emotional repression and just hadn't, like my skill set that I had built as a young person broke down and wasn't... Uh, uh, you know, expansive enough to handle life as it was happening. You know, I, uh, I mean, to be fair, it was, it was really intense, like teaching in the inner city and then getting on a train to go to school at night and like earn a master's. So it was like a, a, a force function of just being um, pretty burnt out. And to, and I think that the jump from, you know, leading a 21 day wilderness trip and then having 21 days off to do what I wanted that lifestyle compared to like, living in Mott Haven, in the Bronx, in New York city and doing that, it was just a big jump. But I think like looking back on it, it was an elegant way to, uh, speed up my, my, my need to grow up, right. My own need to mature and start to go deeper. And I also think that like, I I had a calling, you know, I had a calling towards a more spiritual life and I had a calling toward a deeper life. And, um, You know, I think it was just kind of like uh, I got grabbed by, by life. It's just like, all right, dude, it's fucking happening. (laughs) You're not going to outrun this. You're not going to evade this. Like it's happening. Um, So I was, yeah, I was, and I think a a vulnerable part of it too, is that I was in a long-term relationship with a woman that I cared about so deeply and also just wasn't ready to commit and didn't have the courage or any way to know how to navigate um that and part of that was sexual right I had been monogamous my whole life and with with and um like some of the darkest shit I've ever done like I cheated on her and and like started and kind of like going down a, a path of I guess you could easily call it sexual addiction just things started to go a bit dark man and um and, and, and that wasn't okay. As soon, as soon as I like fessed up to what I was doing, it was like, everything broke down in me. It was like, this is not, this is not who I thought I was. Right. Mm-hmm. This is, this is totally not who I thought I was. So, um, yeah, it was a pretty, it was an intense, but important, really important time for me to, and, and to realize like at that point I had, you know, I was, you know, fine and functional and I was able to you know be a decent mentor and teacher like to to, in my profession and past like that but when it when it it was the first realization that um you know how I was raised like we didn't talk about our insides right we didn't really we didn't delve very deep we didn't really express much emotion and um that just broke down like that just broke down for me
0: so where did the confrontation come from was that uh internal turmoil or was that and did that drive you to get to the men's group in the therapy or did was that all sort of running in parallel and then you had to did you have to ever sort of say that out loud that i'm not who i aspire to be i
1: absolutely did and i don't think i've ever shared this before but um i grew a big batch of psilocybin mushrooms and went upstate and uh we did a ceremony and I lay on the floor and I was sitting with my back against the wall and this face, uh, or being, or, or entity came right up in like, and so I'm just tripping balls. Right. My eyes are closed, but like, as soon as it came up to me, I like felt it in my whole body. It's just like, you, you have to fess up. You have to share. You can't like tell, I think the words it said would tell her. And so I got up and I puked. And then the next day I just, I like, I'm oh like, i best up to her and myself and everything and it's just like
0: yeah so did, that it of, did that sort of shatter a lot of pillars that you'd built
1: oh yeah every one it yeah. was complete it was a complete meltdown of who i thought it was mm-hmm. so i yeah that was pre men's group that was pre-therapy that was pre-anything right that was uh that was the breakdown that uh, started things off and
0: mm-hmm. And say,
1: how did they come into your life? Uh, Pure luck. (laughs) Pure luck. Uh, I I went to a dinner party with a dear friend in Queens. And there was a, there's a man there uh, named Peter who invited me to his men's group. And there's like three moments, man. Like three, maybe I'll only remember two. But like when I was in that internet cafe in Panama, and I saw the wilderness therapy thing, and the first thing was like, "Oh, I've never heard of that before." And then I was at this dinner party, and Peter told me, it "Was like, oh, I've never fucking heard, like, literally never entered, like, no clue this thing existed." And so yeah, he invited me to a men's group, and I went like the next week or the week after that, and it fucking changed my life completely. And that that really began my next wave of obsession in terms of, uh, I mean, first of all, my own well being and my own internal states but then also um, very, very quickly and obviously was clear that this shit worked powerfully and quickly. And it was very clear that I had I was terrified to tell anybody that I was a men's group. And so those two things became my obsessions. Like, hold the fuck on. Why does this work so well? And why are we all so scared to talk about it? And then I chewed on that for five years before we started Everyman.
0: And so so what was you, know, you said you heard about it at a dinner party and it was kind of like i don't know what that is to get up the courage to go along to it what was the elevator pitch because to you know ruminate on that for two weeks and get there and then find out it's worth like uh it's a
1: yeah
0: it's a it's a that's a good good great a great <laughs> thing yeah because change is yeah. changes hard
1: <laughs> yeah it is i i think um I think the real answer to that is, is, is not very special. I think it's just that uh, I have, I think all of that time in the wilderness as a young person, I learned to trust my gut completely. Mm -hmm. I just learned to trust my gut all the way. And there's, there's not often that I uh, second guess or doubt um, like, you know, not, not that I can't be confused or fucked up. I can all the time, but when I slow down and when I can feel something very clearly, I I trust it. Right. And so I tend to say, I, I tend to have a pretty, I tend to say yes to a lot of things when it's, and i tend to trust shit. Right. I kind of go with it a lot. And um, that just felt right. Mm. That's, I mean, that's actually it. It just felt right. It it felt like the right thing. I was scared, nervous, didn't know what I was getting into. Um, I don't remember the pitch. It might've just been, you know, hey, we get together every week and, um, you know, hold each other accountable, or I don't even remember. Um, But I know how it felt leaving after the first night. And it was that uh, I have never been in a room of men that I admire and respect so much. And they are here willing to like stand behind me and mentor me and like be a peer with me. And I saw an image of myself in that moment, this like broken down 28 year old dude, and i was the youngest by far right and all these guys were like millionaires and fucking like ballers and tv directors and you know and handsome and fit and it's just like who where the who are these guys you know like yes i'm like yes i like i could this is my i could be a part of this type of community it was just like it was a, it was a really big deal
0: it was a really big deal yeah would you say they sort of following you intuition, following you get In nature, I I immediately think of, you know, getting off the track and trying to follow trails and stuff like that. And then just the open and amazing areas you find, and then you kind of find animals and you kind of go, well, I'm looking for a needle in a haystack. You look over the whole wilderness and you go, they could be anywhere. And then you manage to find them. And it's taken me a while to start to do that a little bit. But is that the sort of thing you're vibing on?
1: (laughs) I, I do. I, I think about it in terms of that much quiet and that much um, living in tune with, with the natural rhythms and the the elements and all of that. I, I feel like I got a uh, master's degree, or, or no, that's not even fair, way more than that in... Um, meditation in presence and self-awareness in somatic awareness being aware of my body Mm -hmm. um not so much emotions that came later for me but the uh here being quiet enough to hear like the deeper voices in me was i and maybe it was there before the wilderness too but it was finally just quiet enough to to hear it um but yeah awakening of just this uh primal intuitive sense you know of yes no like safe not safe good bad mm. um, but yeah it lines up to, to tracking for sure you know I think that uh, um, I, I guess I think of like the I mean sometimes it, so if I'm out in the woods now You know, it it really does require me to um, get into a receptive state. There's a couple ways I can be in the woods. One is I'm going to get from here to there and I'm just going to put my head down and I'm going to hump, right? I'm going to hoof it and go. And that's not a super receptive state, right? But I think once I get from A to B and I make the decision to just, okay, I'm just going to be here. And that's actually my favorite thing to do in the entire world is to just be in nature without an agenda um or to to meditate outside is, is a specific way i do it but um yeah there's just something else that happens right it's it's just a very very um uh, reliable mechanism to uh find and be a part of the deeper sense of self you know mm-hmm. and not even just sense of self but a sense of a sense of more a participatory way of being you know
0: yeah Um, you said that you hadn't really found the emotional side of it. Um, like I've been listening to you, what is it now? Nearly, nearly four years and, um, sort of that's been my emotional journey with it. I've had, you know, the birth of my daughter and things, and then the the sort of almost loss of that family, family unit and, and that story and, you know, have found that emotional ramp go, go up, um. And then to be in, in the mountains and look around and be in awe and you know, feel all of a sudden has been, been pretty, pretty amazing. What, what, was, what was the difference, do you, do you think, of finding your emotion and being out of
1: nature again? What, what Did you notice what the difference was? Absolutely. Yeah, that's a big deal. Um, and then just to name where the emotions came online for me was after that all happened in New York, I moved out west. And I met Owen Marcus, who's one of the co-founders of, of Every Man With Me. And um, and he taught me. He brought me in his men's group. And um, that, like, you know, next stage of total changing my life. Um, but I think the question here is, right, so once that's online, what is different about being in nature? Is it, mm. Yeah, that's... Uh, that's actually maybe the best question. Can we just, can we just like talk about that for three days? I actually would like, to write, I would actually like to write a book about that. And I'm actually considering writing a book called how to be in nature. And it's not actually a how to, but it, that's just a clever title for it. Um, but I, so here's, here's the best way I can explain it. I feel like, you know, when I started doing the wilderness stuff, these kids would be sent out on these 120 day trips, right? Long wow. time big chunk of time outside. And over that course of 120 days, you know, you would feel like when part of their psyche relaxed, right? And they showed up and they were more present and they were, and it took that time. And I actually think the value of just being outside for that much time at once is immense, right? And you could see it and feel it. I could feel it myself. I could feel it in the students. Um, but I feel like the an accelerant to that journey. And so by the end of 120 days, you know, people are pretty present, you know, people are pretty in tune, pretty, pretty in touch with their bodies, pretty, pretty there. Um, but what I've found is the same type of uh, protocols and practices that help us connect with each other, help us connect with nature on a much more rapid scale. So I think like the minimum effective dose of time outside can shrink substantially, if you know how to slow down your mind, if you know how to relax and feel your body, if you don't have blocks uh, or you know roadblocks in front of your, each of your emotions, if you've cultivated the capacity to feel awe and feel joy and feel fear and feel all of the things, then you get out there and you're just more, uh, your, your consciousness is more naked, right? You're just more nakedly aware and open. And shit, if that's not if that's not psychedelic, I don't know what is. Mm-hmm. You know, to really be present in nature and um, yeah,
0: yeah, that is powerful. It brings up all, all types of thoughts. Um, I know, especially doing weekend missions. I'm, I'm quite lucky. There's a range right there. It takes about an hour and a half to get out to that range, and roughly an hour down to the other range. And on a weekend mission, I uh, and, and it's funny you talk about that minimum effective dose. My time to relax now is getting quicker and quicker. And I think that's probably yeah. partly partly of experience. But I remember I came came back from Australia, um, had had a lot going on with my relationship at home and getting out there, um, and and I'm quite with with my optometry world, I'm quite involve uh, sort of in touch with parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system that fight and flight rest and digest and I would need to go to the toilet like four times in, in the six kilometer walk and I'm like man I am jacked up and I just <laughs> have have that like shiver going on that's where my nervous system was at because I was terrified um, yeah. without being terrified and, and uh, it's sort of also analogous with, with doing Wim Hof like trying to be relaxed while also trying to be jacked up it just creates these yeah What you guys talk about that somatic experience and i think having your words in the back of my head you know occasionally i'd like you listen to a everyman podcast on the way out and just be like I say find that presence in your body and go what what's going on here mm-hmm. and then uh, opening up that scope and, and another analogy is um i've i've done a couple of you know, low-level boxing matches and and the first time I had complete tunnel vision the second yeah. time second yeah. time I sort of started off a little bit broader and by the end of the three rounds I was I was more open to to my surroundings um so yeah it's, it's quite funny are you still there Dan uh, you've uh, frozen on me <laughs>
1: Are you recording just with Zoom or are you recording with a different program?
0: No, just with Zoom. Yeah. yeah. I just use that audio track. Yeah. So did where did you lose me? I heard you say yes to that. That's sort a of tunnel vision to expand a vision of uh, boxing.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I just think that's that's it's exciting to talk about, right? It's um yeah, that uh real the ability to relax as uh, higher levels of intensity occur has a lot of applications that are very positive
0: mm, yeah uh, so you, you said that uh owen taught you how to feel like and, and i i sort of think if anybody wants a um crash course on it just listen to the everman um, podcast back catalog because i learned a shitload <laughs> um what what was the what was the journey like with owen and like he's been on, he's, he's on a number of those episodes as well. So people can get a little bit oh, of yeah. insight. <laughs> yeah. And,
1: and just go, just go to everyman.com and get in there. Right. That's, that's where you learn that stuff. Um, the, I mean, so I joined his men's group in Idaho. Um, yeah. I just remember the first meeting I was there, <laughs> it was my turn to go. <laughs> and like, they asked me what I was feeling and it just, it felt like they were speaking Russian or I'm like, I have no fucking clue. No idea. And so, yeah, Owen lays out in the everyman, you know, they lay out five basic emotions and they named them and they're like, well, which one, dude? <laughs> which emotion? feel? you feel like, I, I, don't <laughs> I don't know. I was pretty, uh, I was pretty locked up. I was pretty emotionally locked up. And so, yeah, it was just a, a process of being guided into into what I was obviously feeling, but not aware of and not allowing to feel, right? And uh, I tend to go th- through things pretty intensely and quickly. And so, yeah, I mean, I think I sat in this group for maybe half a year or something before I moved back to New York. And uh, that was like getting the, the world's best emotional oil change, like I just... Mm-hmm. Uh, learned a whole new part of life in myself and, um, you know, got pretty passionate about it.
0: Yeah. And so how did, how did they, how did you connect the two? Like there's a, there's a wheel out there. That's kind of like you say five emotions and outside of that is narrowing those depth three emotion, uh, each emotion down into sort of three parts. And then what does that look and feel like? You know, I thought that tool was pretty, pretty good for the emotionally stunted. <laughs> like, Oh my, my breath is short. Oh, you could be one of this group of things. And
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, th- yeah, that's that's helpful. I think the other thing that is is helpful is doing it in a community or in the presence of others, because people who are not emotionally stunted can tell what you're fucking feeling. Mm. <laughs> like, are you sure you're not just really sad? <laughs> you know, it's like. <laughs> uh, and uh, but but that points to like part of the beauty of that in general and why the everyman stuff is so valuable and and effective is that, um, our, one of our fundamental languages as humans are our emotions, right? They are a primal part of how we communicate with each other. And they're not, uh, they're not necessarily solitary, uh, experiences, right? So, we feel when other people feel, mm-hmm. right? Other people feel when we feel, right? And there's this, there's just exchange. And <clears throat> when we don't allow ourselves to fully accept and embrace wherever we are, so this is not just emotionally, but this is the experience in general. Like anything that I'm experiencing, like I can put the skids on it, I can lock it up, and then and then it kind of, you know, it doesn't it doesn't transmit very cleanly, right? It's like the the radio station is halfway in between, and it's all fuzzy and and weird. Um, But if you just surrender to what you're feeling, that's really what it is, you surrender to the experience you're having. Um, A, your natural system processes that thing you're feeling as it's designed to do your body, mind, and everything, right? It, It is a natural digestive system of experience. So it does that, which is great, and it also uh, c- clearly communicates to other people. And there's this idea of coherence, coherence between your inner state and your outer state. And so it's just a practice, you know, it's, it's an incredible practice of uh, dialing that in so that your own awareness of, of your inner state and your outer state begins to, to naturally come together. And then how you show up to other people is very, very, very um, different, different in a positive way, you know
0: it's fascinating that you use the word it's it's a natural digestion and of course there's that you've spoken about it already that gut feel and um more sort of physiologically that the vagus nerve you know we can influence it so much and, and listening to people like Andrew Huberman he's just rabbiting on about all this technical feel but that intuitiveness the gut feel the processing like you you're sort of all bringing it bringing it around to to you know, what you can experience and that's quite funny and it's interesting you're sort of saying how you can be the person in the room that doesn't acknowledge it or locks it up and puts the skids on and there's sort of some tension to the room but so, uh, when when we find that little bit of courage to you know, because we know there's some resistance there if we, if we allow ourselves to push over that that, um, that tension, that fear or whatever it is, the uh, the locking up the the energy in the room comes down because exactly. as you said you 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 interact feelings with what's in the room and when you start to align those and, and bring them on the wavelengths and things it's, it's all it's all you know Those words and it's powerful yeah
1: exactly and it's more powerful interpersonally than our rational mind is so yeah. we're talking about interpersonal things yeah. Like why do you think we go to fucking movies because of the emotional journey? Why do you think commercials, you know, cause us to spend billions of dollars because of the emotion <laughs> embedded in it? Why do stories make meaning for humans because of the emotional the, that's our language of humanity, right? And then we get we get confused and think that our rational orientation is our only language, but it's ignoring like the fucking giant elephant in the room that's always happening, you know? Mm-hmm.
0: So I guess that must be some of the power of the men's group. Like you said, you've got that experienced uh, elders, you know, it's quite, it's quite a primitive setup, but then you've got that reciprocity within the room. And if, if they're modeling something that looks attractive, like you said, you sit in that room and go, who are these guys? And then they were able to show you something Um, that's you know, like I say, it bloody works.
1: (laughs) Well, it it really does work and it works quickly. And another reason it works is because if somebody feels, let's just say grief around the passing of a loved one. And I, ha- I lost a loved one, but didn't grieve it. Mm-hmm. Actually, their feeling sparks my feeling. And then now all of a sudden I get to refeel that in process it's, it's a, it's a collective, it's a collective healing process that's incredibly powerful. And, and yeah, it's, it's, um, Fucking works.
0: Um, so, you said that sort of uh, energy sink of, of fathers and sons coming together. You know, if we can fix that, we can solve most of the problems in the world. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, you've spoken about your connection with your father in the Everyman podcast. What, you know, why did it sort of take
1: so long and, and how's that journey now? <laughs> That's a good question. I want to address the first part first because I because it's it's what I spend a lot of time right now thinking about, and it's um. It's not that you know uh, the biggest problem in the world is how fathers show up with their children, but I feel like it is a, it's an open door to a possible way, uh, to influence a lot of other big problems, big problems such as misogyny. Racism, environmental degradation, how we're treating the planet, Um, and that might seem like a big leap, but stick with me for a minute, then I'll get to my dad. And so my sense right now is that um, for the human race to potentially find some sort of sustainability and, and equilibrium and healthful balance with this planet there's a, there's an off-ramp we need to take. We need, we need, and hopefully technology can help, but I think there's also a, um, you know, an off-ramp in how we're approaching the world, approaching each other and approaching ourselves. Right. And so I do believe that, you know, I don't go around using the term patriarchy all the time, but I'm just going to call it for what it is like the, the system of humanity of, um, you know dominating things and dominating people is still very, 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 you know, in place, and uh, I do believe that the concepts of you know masculinity and maleness and manhood are right at the center of that, and and I think that you know what I've observed in the past you know fifteen years working with men is that um, a kinder way of being that that treats women better and people that are different than us better and the planet better does come to pass through uh this owning and softening and embracing the world uh embracing our inner parts that have been you know pushed off on men right men have pushed them off culture has pushed them off of men and so i i just want to like sort of hit on that and i'm still sort of formulating my language and my messaging around it but uh i do think that men healing their own inner world is one of the only effective ways to truly make a, like a a sustainable shift for like a big leap toward the better on this planet. I'm, I'm feel very strongly about that. Um, now it's, so it's not just about fatherhood, but I do think that fatherhood is central to that story because it is where we learn and observe what it means to be a man. Right. It like not everybody has a dad. Right. So it's not true for everybody, but by and large, that's how it is, you know? And um, yeah, my dad and I, I mean, I've told the story a bunch all, you know, my dad and I, he, I think lately I've just been feeling a lot of gratitude to him. You know, he, uh, he was always, he's always been my biggest fan always. Right. I was in, I was in martial arts as a kid and he was always, he drove me to practice, you know, in the middle of fucking winter for years. And when I played football, he was like the proudest dad in the stands, you know, and, and he backed me through all my crazy shit, all the wilderness stuff, all the, you know, going to South America to do ayahuasca. It's like moving to New York city. He flew with me to New York city, like just, You know, he always had my back and, um, but there was just such a big gap between like, we couldn't talk to each other, right? Like we loved each other, but it was so uncomfortable. And I, I kind of hated being around him. It was just this push pull thing. I wanted to be around him. I loved him, but I couldn't be around him. And there's just so much in between us. And um, yeah, he came to a retreat a couple of years ago and that all just, that all went away. It just all went away. Um, and how is it now? I mean, it's good and it's up and down and it's like a normal human relationship, right? Like we have coffee on the phone and, and we have good talks and um, there's been a lot of str- strife and struggle in, in my family. So it's been hard to, you know, um, but I feel all the way clear and rested. Like if, if I died tomorrow, if he died tomorrow, I feel clear, you know, mm-hmm and, um, and it's been so instrumental. So a lot of my work now I'm focusing on fatherhood, like I'm, and I'm really lit up by it. And I feel like, um, you know, who I'm working with regularly now are, I've got it down to like a, a very specific person. It's like a, it's like a 38 to 44 year old, uh, father, usually two kids, two or three kids, uh, successful at work, doing really well and opening up to a real spiritual journey. Right. That's, that's my sweet spot. Um, and I just think it's, I don't know. I'm, you know, I have two kids, uh, two boys, five and two, uh, four and a half and two. And, uh, you know, I take it as a sacred opportunity. Really, I do really, truly do. You know, it's like, what else? I, I kind of, I feel like a caveman. I really do. But like, what else am I here for? Honestly, like.
0: Mm. For, for you, you're saying about a little bit, Of of the turmoil of the last few years how has it been have you found yourself better able to ask your father for advice for like hey man what would you do in this situation or is there still that element of I got this I can keep I can do this
1: (laughs) yeah that was never really um that's a good question that's not really the dynamic um I feel like uh i think on some practical stuff like my dad's gonna help me start brewing mead you know and he's especially good at that and i'm happy you know i'll easily take his, his advice and stuff like that but um i think to be totally honest I don't, I don't i don't find myself going to him for advice very often
0: and so what you're saying about that specific man that that you're working with now what are they generally seeking if you could sum up what people seek from you
1: yeah. To, to, to like quell the existential fear that they're not doing a good enough job with their kids,
0: hmm.
1: you know, and to figure out how the hell to do it all at once, you know, how, how to like find meaning and room for like spiritual growth and self worth amongst a wild, like, I mean, it's a big job these days you know the professional world plus the plus the family world and um yeah they just i think the, the commonality is they want their kids to um to find what they're finding now at 40 or 50 to to have that the whole time right to like just like uh i think a lot of what we've been i've been doing with a lot of these dads are um kind of like reconnecting to the to the fundamental reasons right you know like feeling that love for their for their children more you know feeling their their feeling what was passed on from from their dad or their parents and um you know doing like i think the urge actually well one other thing that's common is the urgency right so when you when you become a father and there's there's a lot more at stake when you're when i was 28 and i was first in men's groups like you know it was a good thing for me to go do my own work now it's like now it's fucking critical right like the kids are here if i haven't been on my game it's like ah oh, i can see the destruction daily you know so i have to get better now um,
0: what what does destruction look like is it uh your reactivity is it is it uh the organizational system of the house or what was what's destructive to to you
1: (laughs) i mean it's different for everybody for me it would be um yeah me turning off like uh me feeling overburdened and shitty and victimized and then uh like not acknowledging it and just walking around like a shithead and letting the whole house stink like my shit (laughs) or speaking to my wife in an, in an unkind way. Right. Or, and that is destructive. You know, that's not, that's not good. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think um, what you're speaking to as well is, is you spoke about that gratitude to your father is where we are evolving. And people might argue that it's, it's slow. We have, you know, through our lineages created enough room and momentum to be able to address these things, um, which is amazing. You know, we're, we're, we're always the luckiest generation. And yeah. you know, for us for us, like you said, for us as you know, I'm 32 and the guys you're dealing with are older again, for them to now be in a position to go, what I want for my children is to be able exactly. to engage with this. Whereas before, us, what I want for my children is to be able to get tertiary education. Before that was what I want for my children is to have skills so that they can yeah. foster this world. And probably not much before that was let's survive.
1: <laughs> exactly right. Exactly. Yeah, that's uh, there's so much wisdom in what you just said. It's and it's and it's not a it it's not a place that everybody gets to. It took me a long to get a long time to get to that place. It's so easy to walk around being pissed at your parents. <laughs> right. It's, I mean, I, I mean, that's what I've seen. It's really easy to be pissed at your parents. Um, it's a lot harder to. Yeah. Accept the, the reality of what happened. And like, what's the quote? I just heard this yesterday. Like. Um, something about how. uh forgiveness is letting go of all hope for a different past or a better past. Forgiveness is letting go of all hope for a better past, right? And um, what you're naming, like looking at it from a generational standpoint, uh, I think makes it really possible for real forgiveness and understanding and letting down some of that stuff, right? Because yeah, I mean, my dad crushed it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he crushed it. Like, I'm, I'm I'm, pretty good, doing pretty good, always have been. You know, he really did an incredible job.
0: Yeah. And and it's funny you're talking about the, you know, supportiveness of of your dad and things like that. And I'm the same, like, you know, he was getting up to take me to swimming, then driving, he'd drive me all the way to town, and then he'd drive. All the way back out past our house to the river to coach rowing, um, he'd do that four mornings a week. Uh, he'd drive me to Dunedin, so it was like a two and a half hour drive, which in New Zealand's a long way. <laughs> and, um, I don't know what, what he'd do for for the hour or hour and a half that I had football training, but uh, soccer football, um, and then he'd bring me home, and you know, he'd, and he'd be there when I didn't make the team. He'd be did to make the team, and so mm-hmm. like. Like I say, it's just amazing how much people give up, and and I was listening to a conversation between a professional rugby player and a and a guy that, you know, did well in rugby and, and took him around the world, and and now he's doing well in business and and passing that on, for others to be involved with sport to get those learnings out of sport, and and, and it's funny you brought up that like significance and and, and who we are as people, yeah, the, his, his vision is that sport can help that foundation, and and yeah, it, it's cool that you say you know. You can have gratitude for your parents or, or if it's not your parents the people in your life and being having opportunities to be exposed to other people in your life then it's powerful and then i think and it's cool that's what means workers trying to do like get those little accountability partners work through those things together and mm-hmm. um bounce bounce the ideas off each other but have the framework that hey this is open and so if you're showing up to this you know, it's kind of like a buy-in, isn't it? Showing up to a buy-in.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, man.
0: Yeah. Were you at first intimidated or was it just exciting?
1: By which part?
0: By the, the first time you showed up to the men's group in New York and then again with Owen in, in, in out West.
1: Oh, yeah. Crazy intimidated. Super, super intimidated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, especially the first one, I think, was, you know, I mean, it is intimidating. It's intimidating by nature to sit in a like in a circle of a bunch of dudes you don't know. Right. It, it's it's by it's I think we're uh, pretty wired, pretty deep with a lot of um, competition and aggression. Right. Like there's a it's not a normal thing. It's not how we've lived our lives, except for maybe sport. Right maybe sport is where we 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 did so for some people maybe it's super normal you know to sit down and be in that space for a lot of a lot of men it's very very not normal um so i think i felt the the gravity of what was happening without understanding it um but yeah i was super intimidated but also really compelled which is a good combination mm. right to be really intimidated but really compelled i feel like that's a that's kind of a sweet spot to be in
0: Mm-hmm. Um, now sitting on the other side can you sort of appreciate the, um, the sort of primitiveness of sitting in a circle of strangers who are men like you, you brought up the word the aggression of it or, or the sort of potential violence of it, can you um, now observe like their intimidation coming out and see the different uh, type of men that they might be, say you say they are the, the football one, do you, do you get more of a a staunching and a, and a sort of prowling up, and then do you also see the opposite of the, the closing down nature and the looking up and, and um, kind of uh, yeah. deer in the headlights type eyes type thing? Like, what am I doing? Sort of thing. Do you, do you see those behaviors coming out? Those pr- primitive. Uh, yeah.
1: Behaviors? Yes. Yes. I, I think so. Not too much. You don't see much posturing or aggression. I think it's pretty it's mostly intimidating. <laughs> I think most people are pretty intimidated, but it goes away quickly. Mm-hmm. It goes away quickly, right? It's like, uh, as soon as somebody opens up and sort of, you know, shares, I mean, I, I guess I can't say that for everybody, it goes away quickly, but, um, but I actually, I think that there is that sort of sense of both intimidation or um, expectation or like electricity, but, but it is it it quickly becomes compelling maybe that's the right way to say it It kind of quickly becomes compelling being like oh okay holy shit i get it right like like this is um um, yeah a man's first sort of step into an arena of that sort is uh tends to be remembered quite clearly
0: Mm. and so what was the contrast of moving back to new york
1: Um, I got, I got to, uh, well, I I guess when I moved back to New York, I, that was when I, you know, was doing the TV program meat eater. And, uh, that became the greatest time of my life. I mean, not, uh, not better than now with my children and my wife and everything, but that was like, uh, I found a way to live in that city. That was just absolutely (laughs) perfect and blissful i had a sweet apartment in brooklyn and my job was that we would be um on a tr- you know on trips around the world in the wilderness you know 150 180 days a year and, and then i come home and was a single guy in the city and like just fucking like, had a blast like a total blast so if the first time i was in new york was broke me down uh the second time certainly built me built me back up all
0: the way did you get to new zealand with him
1: yeah yeah. Yeah, we did a big two and a half, almost no, we did about a three-week trip on the Southern Island. Um Lake Um what's like the fame one of the famous lakes?
0: Tekapo, Pukaki, Wanaka, Tikapo. I
1: think Tekapo. but we were close there. I mean, we did all we did all the things, man. We did a stag hunt, we did a tar hunt, we did a chamois hunt, we did a, a boar hunt. Um
0: was the steak? Was the steak hunt when we Steve caught up with Remy Warren. Was that yeah? The, yeah. yeah that yeah, trip. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: I I think that those run of episodes, the the New Zealand episodes that we did, are are um. I'm gonna brag some of the best fucking television ever made. <laughs> like I think they are. I mean, I I think they're they're our be- That was I thought our best work, and they were like legit, legit adventures. Yeah, it was so fun.
0: man. No. I, I had to laugh and. Uh, <laughs> us here as Kiwis are always a bit protective that we're not Australians and so um, because that group of episodes was down under uh, it starts off with uh, Steve in New Zealand with a didgeridoo playing (laughs) I was just like oh man (laughs) (laughs) we're not Australians (laughs) (laughs) no it was it was classic but yeah, it was down under yeah so so for you um, with every man there was a hope to get down to Australasia and you know you had some dates planned for Melbourne and things. Is there you as as Dan Doty is there still plans to get on down here?
1: I mean, you know, potentially, man. I have some good friends over there. And um, you know, I've just launched a program for men's coaches. So it's a it's a mastermind and training for professional men's coaches. And I think three of the guys so far signed up are are from Australia. Mm. Uh nobody from New Zealand yet, but um, Yeah, man. I mean, I would love to, I think if if it, if it lines up business wise and it makes sense, I mean, I had the time of my life in both, I mean, separate trips to New Zealand and Australia. Um, I'm a huge, I'm a, I would like to spend more time. I'd like to bring my family back. I'd like to do some extended time um, in both places and yeah, I have good friends in Melbourne and Sydney and uh, a couple of folks in New Zealand. I'd love to see too. So um, i would like to no plans now man i mean things are <laughs> they're pretty online oriented these days you know yeah and and where are you based now we just bought a home in maine on the coast of maine on the east coast of the united states yeah so you're uh, getting out of winter is that right yeah yeah very much actively getting out of winter yeah just this week has been we moved here right as winter started which wasn't like the best way to move to a place right so <laughs> Just this last week, I've been out climbing in the hills and just um, honestly starting to fall in love with this place. It's it's a pretty, it's a pretty special place.
0: Yeah, the beauty of the internet is uh, I follow a few people in Maine and it does look pretty cool <laughs> for me. Who for do you me. follow in Maine? I'm curious. Um, there is a uh, guy that uh, does home pig butchery. Um, he's pretty uh-huh. cool. And, and then Ryan Mickler, I think, is up there in Maine. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I saw him move. On, yeah. Too. yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's my exposure to Maine, I guess. <laughs> no, And I often get accused of being a bandwagon jumper, but in terms of uh, if I sit down and watch the NFL, I do like the Patriots. So,
1: <laughs> there you go.
0: Yeah. There you go. See, that's my connection. Um, Dan, my sort of, or well, first, where do we where do we find you? Yeah, it, it would be would be good. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, of course. Yeah, Dan Doty got dot com. Very very straightforward. Dan, Doty, Dan Doty dot com. and then I and then I'm on Instagram too. Yeah, um, and I'm trying to find the bastard who has dandody.com dot so I can take it. Uh, but I'm Daniel Daniel Doty at, on Instagram. So.
0: Yeah, Daniel Dody. Cool man. <laughs> so yeah, my my closing question is, what is um, in your life something that continually shows up um so it keeps you in flow it keeps the wheels turning and if it's not there things are a bit messy um it can help you get back on track it could be like a quote or a way that you live your life just just something that
1: sums up the positive in your life i'd say the the quiet that comes in my meditation practice and it doesn't have to come through meditation but it's that space mhm yeah. that open space yeah
0: So the quiet and open, is that
1: right? Quiet and open, yeah.
0: Beautiful. Well, Dan, this has been awesome. As I said, you're actually the reason I started doing this. And uh, this is pretty cool. It's it's always funny. I I tend to, those like um, five and 10 episodes. They tend to end up with something significant. And uh, yeah, this one for me has been massively significant. And it's awesome to share... Your work and what you do and and how you think about things with us down here in New Zealand and um, yeah I know there's a few people out there within New Zealand that are trying to work in this space as well hopefully this reaches them and um, yeah they can also grow and, and learn from you and yeah we share this message of getting in touch as men and, and being you know we're always trying to be better but yeah here's another yeah. Tool, tool to be better so thank you so much for for giving up your time and chatting with me and uh, yeah, I appreciate it and appreciate all you do.
1: Yeah. You're welcome, man. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it too.
0: Legend. Cheers. Quiet and open is pretty simple. Uh, Not necessarily easy as, as he said, it's when he's in that practice of meditation. Um, Meditation doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, sitting on the on a rug with your legs crossed, going on. although that's definitely one way of doing it. Um, I'll try and find that space often doing Wim Hof, and like I've spoken about a few times, when I'm consistent in that practice, I find the day just seems to be great or good or um, wash over me. But then, as we spoke about in the body of that podcast nature and the space of being out there on the hunt, especially glassing or snacking <laughs> out there in the bush allow, like it is, it's quiet and it's open and you're slowing down and you're taking in all that is around you and the beauty in and, and all, all, of, all of the things that nature provides. Um, so yeah, sometimes I think that we hear those words of, of meditation and we we sort of block out what the takeaway from those is and, and yeah, what Dan left us with there of that quietness, that openness that you find in those places is what's important. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Hope you learned a few things. That you, you took a few things away from that. Hope you gained some Confidence to explore some of these things and and address that emotional intelligence. Um, It's topics that keep coming up, whether that be, you know, speaking with the likes of Mike McCormick that we had last week or or, uh, Dave Perry, um, even Fitz, what he was sort of talking about, his journey from from military to warfighter athletic. what I I speak about with with Movember, with Robert Dunn. Um, If you ever go along to a Nigel Beach seminar, it's, again, some of the things that he touches on. You know, they're they're common themes and and they're different ways of of approaching it. And I guess it probably can give you confidence and reinforce in the things that you do that, you know, you look at these sort of Eastern-type paradigms, I guess, you know, as I said Hearing the word meditation or yoga or, or whatever can sometimes put a front up, but the outcomes and in, in the in the value in those things, you know, you can find that same outcome and value in very um, accessible places. And if you're a hunter, um, if you're doing deep work, that's actually uh, where you can also find that value. And what you are doing there is. In essence, meditation, and so it's sort of one step closer to, to crossing the ditch to that thing, to practicing the tool, practicing the skill, and um, a bit like going to the gym and, and you know working on that that pull, so that then you can go out into the bush or, or then you can save your life. You know if you fell down a cliff or something like that. Um, so too can you isolate that down to something like meditation and practice the skill of openness, um, practice the skill of mindfulness, practice the skill of of presence, so that, again, for hunting, for example, you can be in that moment, picking up all the indicators, and be successful by taking a quarry, or seeing a quarry, or what, whatever your aim is. So,
1: yeah,
0: that's how I'd like to sum that up, and super stoked to, you know, 185 episodes deep, Get Dan on the podcast. It was wicked. Thanks for listening. As always, appreciate uh, you listening. Appreciate the reviews, the uh, the ratings, and uh, the messages on Instagram. And, uh, yeah, if you like this, reach out to Dan as well and, and tell him that
1: uh, you heard him on a little old New Zealand podcast of the Staggerall. Cheers.